In the Bible, there are around oh, 2,000 plus verses about money and finance and possessions, making it one of the most mentioned topics of, uh, in the scriptures. Hundreds of thousands of books, sermons, podcasts, Bible studies, and ironically, dollars have been poured into the topic of a Christian or a biblical perspective on money. And if you've spent any time in the church, which I think several of us have, you've heard it all, and I need a little bit of crowd participation here. The love of money is the root of all evil. Don't store up treasures on earth, but where? Don't be on guard against all sorts of greed. That's a, that's a deep cut right there. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than who to enter heaven? A rich man. Uh, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And on and on and on it goes. Over and over in Scripture, we talk about finances. And even in popular culture, the dangers of money are well documented. Uh, one of my favorite shows from the last 10 years is Breaking Bad. I uh, absolutely love that show. If you haven't watched it, it's the story of a high school chemistry teacher who becomes one of the most feared drug lords in the South uh, because he wants to uh, lay up a future for his family because he has been diagnosed with cancer. And so selling drugs was the way he thought that he might could set that future up. And it's just one show of many. There are many other shows, Ozark and, and others, about uh, the allure of money and chasing greed and what it does to people. I, I think if we took a poll right now, we would all say greed is bad. We would probably all say materialism is bad. We would probably all say that hoarding money is bad. Bad. Yet, nevertheless, millions of Americans carry an average of about $16,000 in credit card debt. We keep buying stuff that we don't really need. And in the words of the scripture we just heard, we keep building bigger and bigger barns to put our crap in. And if you don't believe me, just drive up to Georgetown and look and see how many storage locker facilities they're building. Why? Why, despite all the warnings against greed and materialism and wealth, do we still work ourselves to death to store up money that we'll likely never spend and buy crap that we're not going to ever use? Why? Why do we keep chasing that and wealth and accumulating things all while we grow more depressed, more anxious, more fearful that we'll never have enough, or that somebody is going to come take what we have? I don't mean to be fatalistic about all of this. I know that there are some of us in here who are doing the very best we can. That we're, we're doing all we can just to make ends meet. I get it. And I'm not here con to condemn you or to judge you or to uh, make judgment on your, your purchases that you've made or how much is or is not in your 401k. But I think that all of us have seen what greed and materialism can do to people. We understand the dangers. Even in its most benign forms, it can destroy a person. And on the other side, though, I think we've all seen and been inspired by the freedom and the gratitude that people feel who have very little in our society, yeah? So why do we keep fooling ourselves? Why do we keep playing the same old games only to know we're going to lose? So today I don't have for you any five-step plan or, or budgeting system or 
uh, Christian uh, financial advice because for as much good as the Christian financial industry has done for many people, maybe some of you in here, I still think they miss out on some of the fundamental principles about possessions and finances taught by Jesus and others. Jesus didn't live a life of simplicity and poverty to be financially responsible so that he could retire someday in a little cottage out in Galilee. No, Jesus died broke, naked, and possessionless. That doesn't sell really well when you're trying to help people make good financial decisions. So I think we who claim to follow Jesus, which many of us do in here, could all reset our perspectives just a little bit. And all of our practices surrounding our finances and our possessions live more simply and practically in ways that actually honor and mimic the one that we claim to follow. So it's in that spirit that I want to share with you a few practices that have proven to be helpful for me and for Sarah as we've shed some of the dead weight of stuff. We've freed up our finances and we've started living um, a life to the fullest right now, not later. Uh, and just a disclaimer before I get too far gone, the things uh, that we have chosen to do are by no means the things that you have to choose to do. The calling to live in a 399-square-foot house is not for everybody, especially maybe the Browns who have five children. That's a lot of people in one house. And so uh, I understand that the things that I might tell you today may not coincide directly with what your life circumstances are. And ultimately, you and your family are going to have to decide how these practices translate for you. Uh, but hopefully, I can just give you some concrete ideas today. That's what we wanted to do with this series, really concrete practice on how uh, you might live a life that is present, that is free, and that is focused because you're not worrying about all the other stuff. But before we do that, let me just talk a little bit about why. I, I really struggled with, okay, so I'm writing a sermon on, on finances and money, but why? What, what's the point of writing this? Um, I think that getting out of debt and getting rid of your stuff are really good practices, but what I'm most interested in are the spiritual implications of this thing, this practice. And I think it must have a spirit, or else Jesus and the biblical teachers and other spiritual teachers would not have talked about it so much. It's in every major religion. You're going to talk about things like materialism and money and finances. It's everywhere. So I think that it does have a spiritual impact. And here are some of the things that I know to be true spiritually for me. Uh, number one, less stuff and controlled financial practices equals a more free and full life. Jesus talked about giving his followers life to the fullest, and I believe that this fullness can be experienced right here and right now. However, in our day and age, I think, many, I think one of the main things that can choke out that fullness of life is possessions and materialism and debt. Uh, and that's actually what Jesus said. If you go back and read uh, in the book of Matthew, the parable of the sower, you know, the, the seed are thrown all over. The seed that's thrown in the weeds uh, is a representation of um, the, the, the person grows up in faith, but is choked out by materialism and greed. Jesus know, knew what he was talking about. So I want to address that just a little bit more here in just a little bit, but that's, that's one thing. Uh, the second thing that I know is uh, simplicity will make you a more present and grateful person. Uh, in another teaching of Jesus, Jesus talks about receiving our daily bread from the divine. And this is a callback uh, to the Israelites wandering in the desert during the Exodus uh, when they received manna from Yahweh. Uh, 
When you have what you need and are content about what you have, you are only concerned with this, not some far off distant that. So it brings you back into this moment, this thing, this present moment. And finally, less focus on things and money means more focus on people and relationships. Uh, the minimalists, who are a group of people that we follow, um, are a couple of guys who have popularized uh, the practice of minimalism with their personal stories that they tell. And they have a standard principle that all of their little tribe lives by. Love people, use things, not the other way around. If we're totally honest, the, the practice actually does get flipped quite a bit, doesn't it? We fool ourselves into thinking that this thing, uh, the car, uh, this house, this boat, this whatever, is a tool to bring us closer to people. But oftentimes it just ends up feeding more greed and more desire because it's never going to be enough. And so when Sarah and I started to make a lifestyle change towards more simplicity, we noticed this tangible change of becoming less focused, or becoming more focused on people and less focused on the things that we really wanted to attain. So just a, a quick recap of that little mini homily in the middle of this sermon. Uh, fullness of life, gratitude, and connection are some of the primary reasons why I wanted to even talk about finances and materialism and possessions today. So now just, let me just give you a few practices. Just, just some really concrete ideas and some principles that we live by. So the, we started off our journey into a more light and free life uh, by bucking the cultural norms surrounding money and possessions. Um, and, and we began, uh, the very first thing we did was giving up on the idea of good debt. Uh, you've heard a lot about this, right? And some of you may be in finance, finances, and hopefully I don't offend you by this, but it's it's just something that I'm th I've been thinking a lot about. Good debt is that stuff that you buy, like your house or your education. Are we familiar with the term? Um, usually it's, it's a long-term debt that's supposed to get you something good or valuable or necessary. But I don't know. Um, I don't know if it's because I'm doing more work and becoming less dualistic with my life, but I just don't buy into the good-bad debt thing anymore. Um, the more you read about, quote-unquote, good debt, the more you start to think that it's some sort of conspiracy to get us to buy more crap that we really don't need. Um, it's supposed to benefit us, apparently, but it, it's hard to believe that. Sarah and I lived by this idea for a really long time. We, we bought stuff we could not afford. We, we got educations. We were in school loan debt. But we still slowly started to peel back the layers of the cultural norm of good debt and realize that despite the circumstances of this debt and despite the benefit of the debt, it was still debt, no matter how we framed it. We still owed people money. So no matter how we labeled it, we realized that as long as we owed money to a financial institution or to somebody else, the work we were doing and the money we were making were not our work and our money. It reminds me of a biblical proverb, uh, 22.7, uh, that uh, we would always be a slave to whomever we were paying debt to. Wells Fargo, whoever. LCU, they took a lot of my money too. I love them. But I'm reminded of Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, no one can serve two masters. You're, you're either going to hate one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve God and money. So to live our best and fullest life, 
Sarah and I uh, committed, wanted to commit ourselves to following the Spirit of God. And so we decided that the first big change we had to make was getting out of debt. Um, and so we did. And here's how we did it. We made a little thermometer and put it on a refrigerator. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's stupid how simple that was. And no, it, it wasn't much fun. Uh, when we were paying off debt because all of our fun money was going somewhere else. We were paying off the man. Uh, but here's the deal, y'all. Jesus knew what he was talking about uh, in that passage. Debt enslaves us, no matter how you frame it. Uh, other spiritual teachers like the Buddha talk about um, how debt uh, brings forth anxiety and unnecessary stress and suffering. And the whole point is to get rid of that suffering. And so Sarah and I can attest that to live a debt-free life is to be free to live. To be, to be able to live to do whatever you want <laughs> and live it to the fullest. And, and I want to be really careful here because I don't want, want you to hear me say that you can't do that while you're in debt. You can certainly live a full life being indebted to an institution. Um, I know many of you have, have school debt or house debt. But, uh, or, and even... There's some people that say that even being in debt is a sin. I'm not even going to go that far today. Uh, but I can just tell you, when you get out from underneath that, you feel a, a, a release, a lightness, a freedom that comes with it. So I want, to take, uh, I want to encourage you just to take bites out of the elephant, the really, really big elephant of debt, one little bite at a time. Um, Track your progress. Celebrate your progress. Print out a little like thermometer thingy and put it on your refrigerator and start coloring it in every time you pay a little extra to your school debt or your house or whatever. And quit buying stuff you can't afford. It's that simple. Push back against the lie that you need debt. Push back against the lie that to live a glamorous life, you're going to have to buy stuff you can't actually buy. It's not glamorous, but You'll be able to live more free when you do. Get out of debt. Number two. Uh, the next thing we focused on was our focus over, uh, over our possessions. And I don't want to talk so much about the stuff that we're buying right now because I think we all know that we probably buy too much. Uh, I want to talk about the stuff we're keeping today. It's no secret that in America we love our things. I love my things. We are also very nostalgic we're sentimental, and we're attached, which is a very dangerous mixture for overpossession. Uh, probably like very, uh, several of you, Sarah and I came from families that were extremely, extremely nostalgic. Uh, and it's proven by the many boxes that we received uh, full of junk. <laughs> it, is, it, was just, it was astounding how much stuff we had. I, I read an article while I was preparing for this sermon. Uh, that said that uh, the self-storage industry in America is a $38 billion industry in America. That's a billion with a B. Crazy. So if you want to invest, that's where you want to invest. One in 11 Americans pays, pays an average of $90 a month to use self-storage. And so we store up our earthly treasures in climate-controlled units where we hope moth and rust don't destroy. But... Uh, I'm going to take a shot here in the dark and say that we all have way more than we actually need. Uh, my guess is that somewhere in your house, you have a box that has stuff in it that you haven't opened maybe in months, years maybe. 
uh, our boxes rode around with us for 10 years in different, and they basically just lived in the attic. I would also bet that there are some things that you have that are multiples of something and that you don't use all of those multiples, that there's one that you haven't touched in a few months or weeks. Some of you may even have rooms in your house that you haven't been in a month, maybe a year. The cats were living in one of our rooms in our house. <laughs> they had a whole room to themselves. It was crazy. So the truth is we live in excess, yet we never seem to have enough. We keep stuff, and this is very dangerous to say, just in case. We keep stuff just in case. And thus we program our brains to collect, to keep, to own, and to hoard. We have trouble letting go of things. And this is the discipline that I want to give you as we think about possessions. It's called detachment. Simply put, it's the loosening up of the grip on the things that we have. Um, and I think it's an incredibly important discipline for us to learn, especially as Americans, because we love our stuff. But, but why? Why do we want to practice detachment? I think that our stuff has the tendency to take over our lives. Uh, there's a psychologist named Regina Leeds who says this, we create in the physical world the pattern of how we think and experience the world. Or you might say, your crap and your clutter is actually what's going on inside of you. Or a spiritual teacher said this, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. If you're feeling anxious or tired or burdened or overwhelmed, it could be that you have too much stuff. Some of us feel uh, this more than others, but I would say that most of us would admit we would be happier if we had a few less things. If we could just let it go, which is the hardest part. Uh, and this is why people are going Marie Kondo crazy. Have you seen, have you seen anything from Marie Kondo? Uh, I watched a couple of videos of Marie, and it's just lovely. She's, a little, she's so cute and lovely and fun, and uh, it's, it's a great thing to uh, kind of reframe your thinking. We want margin. This is why people go to Marie Kondo. We, we just don't know how to let go. And so we hire people to help us tidy up and create more space in our minds and in our hearts. But we're, we're also worried about our stuff and our money. We just can't let it go. So how do we get rid of it? Like the debt, little by little, little by little. I love Marie Kondo's suggestion uh, that she holds, you know, she goes into the room and she holds the thing close to her heart and says, does this thing spark joy for you? Does it spark love? And if not, you give it away. Uh, Rob Bell, one of my favorite spiritual teachers, talks about returning things to the generative flow of the universe. And so, like, he goes to places and gives away books and stuff because he, like, books he doesn't read anymore. And I love that. Sarah and I have returned our fair share of possessions into that generative flow. Uh, and in, with every little thing we gave away, our grip on our possessions began to loosen. It started very small. Christmas gifts, clothes, little knickknacks turned into furniture. Uh, more sentimental things like boxes of yearbooks, awards, newspaper clippings. We gave away Sarah's wedding dress. We even gave away a car. You don't have to let go of everything today. But, but maybe you can open your grip just a little bit more. And, and it, even if you're giving away just a little, I'll bet you'll be surprised at the impact it has on your whole life. Because 
here's what happened when we started letting go of our things. It wasn't just things we let go of anymore. It was long-held beliefs. It was expectations and cultural norms, jobs that we felt tied down to in fear of losing something. We just let it all go. And it all started with giving away things like coffee cups and gifts that we couldn't keep in our house. So consider those things you're keeping. And the last practice is this, uh, simply living with gratitude. My favorite churchy word is Eucharist. I love that word. I actually have a tattoo that represents Eucharist. Um, It's the word that we use as the liturgical act of communion, the thing that we just did, the Lord's Supper. But it's a a Greek word uh, that's transliterated, and it, uh, it actually, in its verb form, is to give thanks. To give thanks. To be grateful. So the Eucharistic spirit is one of gratefulness for the things that we have and the life that we're able to live. It's a state of mind that the Apostle Paul describes like this in Philippians 4. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to be in want. I've learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether I'm well-fed or hungry, living in plenty or want. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That's Eucharistic spirit. With concern to our finances and possessions, I'm constantly relearning the practice of being content and grateful for what I have. The allure for more and better is a strong temptress in our society. Every ad on TV and on the internet is trying to convince me that I don't have enough or I don't have the right thing. It even happened this morning. We were watching TV as I was getting ready, and Living Spaces commercial came on. It has this really cool little uh, coffee table thing in front of your couch that you lift up, and it becomes like a computer table. And I said, told Sarah, hey, maybe we need one of those. That would be cool because we've gotten rid of all of like, our tables and stuff. And so I, even this morning, I was be, trying to be convinced of this by some ad. It's very easy to become discontent when you're constantly told that your car doesn't have enough features, that the, the color on your walls is the wrong color and it, can be, it could look better. Your deck could be bigger. Your job is boring and you need a new one. Your medicine that you're taking is never good enough and your doctor is an idiot. These are all terrible things that we hear all over to, that try to convince us that what we have is never enough. And so we have to constantly combat these thoughts to, to have a renewal of the mind, a transformation of consciousness. We have to constantly reprogram ourselves from a mindset of scarcity to one of abundance. Here's what I mean. It, how would your life change that if you're watching TV and you see that Lexus commercial or uh, that uh, commercial about building that new deck behind your house, if you could say, I have everything that I need, and I am thankful for this. I have everything I need, and I'm thankful. And if you need help with that, the Bible is chock full of examples of how God's people are constantly thankful for what they have. I want to encourage you this week to try to shift your thinking from scarcity to abundance, just, just making a little switch in thought. And when you feel the urge to upgrade to some, something faster, better, bigger, stronger, Can you say, I'm thankful for what I have, and I have what I need? I'm thankful for what I have, and I have what I need. Be conscious this week, because it's it's all over. Be conscious this week of those feelings, and use that mantra or something like it. And so, those three little ideas as we kind of finish up here. 
Um, I don't know if any of this will make a lick of difference for any of you, <laughs> to be honest. Um, but like I said at the beginning, the journey from overpossession and indebtedness to simplicity and freedom has become this journey like none other we've ever experienced. If these practices don't resonate with you or they don't translate well for you, that's totally fine. Not hurting my feelings. Just find something that you can do to make a small difference. Give and receive more gifts. Give stuff away. Downsize. Simplify your life. Anything that will loosen the grip of money and materialism on your life. Um, And as we close, I'm going to offer this blessing to you. Um, I think it's the best way I can figure out how to end practices that might change us. May you come to know freedom. May you be blessed to bless. May you always value people's well-being more than your things and your money. May you grow in your mindset of enoughness, and may you all and loose so that you can follow the divine wherever it leads. Amen.